Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Everyone just went... (gasps) (laughs) It's going to be serious today. Well, it's interesting when... A few years back, the Lord said, I want you to be ahead in your message preparation. And so I'm actually finished with all my messages up through the end of October. And so for, for a preacher, each, each message is a labor of love. It's like having your own child. And then you come back to it after you've written all the way down and you come back. And I was, the enemy begins to look at you sometime and he's like, I don't want you to preach that. And you realize that it has to be preached correctly and well, not alarmist. Turn to someone and say, no alarms going off this morning. But there definitely are things that are a little more sobering that you preach on. And I actually, this, this week, was like, kind of, well, I don't want to preach that, God. I'm kind of like, you know, a little more peace, a little more. And this is peaceful, but it's preparation. How many of you know the times that we are living in? So I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Forewarned is forearmed. God prepares you ahead of time so that you're ready. Turn to someone and say, get ready. Come on, tell them right now. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, this is uh, Jesus speaking to the church of Smyrna. And of course, these churches in Revelation represent uh, not only the churches throughout all the ages, but also the last days churches because this is coming out of the book of Revelation. But a reminder that the book of Revelation The world loves to talk about it as an apocalypse, about the end of the world. But really, if you understand, it is not a revelation of just the end. It's a revelation of Jesus. How many of you are thankful that Jesus loves you? How many of you know that he's for you, that he's preparing you and me for what's coming in the end? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Isn't that interesting? Don't fear anything that you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. We thank you how you make us ready Now, Lord, this morning, may we decrease, may you increase, may you be exalted in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 21, take your Bibles and turn to that. Of course, it'll be on the screen, but it's always good to have it. Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. These go hand in hand with each other. If you found it in your word, say, hey. All right. And as we stayed many days, starting at verse 10, and as we stayed many days, A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hand and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we... And those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. You know, sometimes the will of the Lord includes difficult things. It does. And in this year, this is our year of going uh, deeper, higher, uh, wider, and further. This message is really about going further. It's about looking further ahead. It's really understanding life and the plan of God from eternal perspective. How many of you remember that God understands the end from the beginning? So when he already knows what's going on, he has already prepared us for the things to look farther ahead. Forewarned is forearmed. And that's a saying that means if one knows about a problem or a situation in advance, that you'll be able to deal with it when you need to. And don't put it off, or you may have to pay for it. Now, there's no doubt that seeing and knowing things before they take place gives you a strategic advantage. Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The New Living Testament, or translation, says a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly and suffers the consequences. Tell someone, don't be a simpleton. Go ahead. Come on, tell them right now. Someone needs to hear that. The Amplified puts it this way. A prudent and far-sighted person sees the evil of sin and hides himself from it. But the naive continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. That's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I love that God gives us wisdom and the ability to see things ahead of time so that you can take the appropriate course correction in our life to make sure we don't have to face it or to make the necessary preparations in our life so that we can face what we need to. The word prudent means to be marked by wisdom, to be shrewd in management or practical affairs, to be cautious and discreet, to be frugal and thrifty and showing care and thought for the future. Today, many people live by the motto, just throw caution to the wind. But God calls those who are his to live thoughtfully, insightfully and prudently. It is important to live life looking far enough ahead that you can avoid mistakes, that you can avoid traps and hazards and even real dangers. Or as in the case of Paul, you understand that you are going to be called to face certain things and you walk into it with your eyes wide open. Paul wasn't caught by surprise when the things happened to him in Jerusalem. As both a car driver and a motorcycle driver, I know that it's important to look ahead several car lengths to make sure that I see everything that's going on around me. It is mind-boggling to me how many people are not only not looking ahead, but they're looking at their phones. It absolutely drives me nuts. How many of you have been almost wrecked into this last week, I, I was in my car, and I had to emphatically let someone know who almost sideswiped me, and I saw what they were doing. 
They were coming over. I saw it about to happen. I had to jam on my brakes. And when I look over, the guy's looking at his phone. I believe horns are meant to be used. Hallelujah. And I used it for about a solid minute as I continued down the road. People were saying, isn't that enough? And I'm going, no! It's not enough until I let you know how upset you made me. But many times, looking around in life or death, it's the difference between really an accident. A few years ago, I could see a person driving a little erratically. I was riding my motorcycle up 95 from Fort Lauderdale. I don't do that often. And as I looked down the road, I saw on the back of a pickup truck someone with an actual refrigerator box. And I could just see the box doing this. Now, if I had just been enjoying the ride or not looking around, I would not be with you this morning. I'm doing about 75 miles an hour because if you don't do that on 95, you wind up dead. So I'm already going fast. I'm already dealing with the road traffic. And when I saw that box about to fly off, I made the appropriate lane changes over and the box did indeed fly off. And I would have been right in the path of it. Because I was driving prudently and not recklessly and not just enjoying the ride and not even paying attention, I was able to see the danger coming and make the necessary adjustments to avoid it. But many people today really are just living their life with no thought for the future and no awareness of what's going on around them. Now listen, I believe in living in the moment. Yesterday is... Brittany was having her baby shower. I came in a little early because as the preacher, I know when there's going to be food. How many of you know that's a good time to show? And I could just slip into the kitchen. But as I'm sitting in the back and I'm watching my daughter sit in a chair with her belly just sticking out over her knees, <laughs> unwrapping presents, I wanted to just stop and enjoy the moment. A lot of times in the past, I wouldn't have taken time to just enjoy it. But to look out and see your own daughter, and some of you have already done that, about ready to give birth, unwrapping presents. And thank you, by the way, for blessing my daughter. I looked over at Dale. I said, Dale, that's my daughter. She goes, I know. And then she looked over at me, and you're going to be a grandpa, old man. I said, yes, I am. Hallelujah. <laughs> I believe in living in the moment, but can I tell you, we are not living for the moment. We are living for the Lord. And God has clearly stated that he has a hope and a future for us. And this means that we should live every today with an eye on tomorrow, knowing that what we do today will impact our every tomorrow. I want you to mark this down if you're taking notes this morning. God loves us so much that if we will listen to his spirit, he will forewarn us and prepare us of things to come. When Paul Revere made his famous ride through the night to warn that the British or the Redcoats were coming, uh, that enabled the colonists to arm themselves and position themselves to resist. God prepares us beforehand for encounters with the enemy. And he tells us, resist the devil standing steadfast in the faith. Then he arms us with the armor of God 
And he tells us how to use it because forewarned is forearmed. Remember that when God was going to pour his judgment on the earth, he warned Noah. And because of this, Noah had enough time to prepare for what was coming, and he did exactly what God told him to do. And what was that? Build the ark. And this will surprise many people. Just because God warns you about something does not mean that he is necessarily giving you what you need to avoid going through the situation, but rather he is going to give you what you need precisely because you are going to go through the situation. There are some things that it is prudent to avoid. And then there are other things that require prudence to prepare. For over 100 years, Noah prudently prepared for the flood. And when it came, he was ready. And he saved mankind and his own family. Now I want you to get this. Sometimes the preparation lasts longer than the actual trial. Boxers train for months for a 12-round fight. Football players practice all week for a 60-minute game. I was telling you Wednesday, if you'll listen, God will tell you things. And it still blows my mind the other day when we were at the beach. For those of you here Wednesday, you heard the story. For those who weren't, I'll tell it again. As we were in the water, the Holy Spirit said, get out. And I said, well, okay, I'll get out. But I like the water. I'm feeling pretty good. He said, get out. I said, okay. So I looked at Dom. We got out of the water, sat down in our chairs, just enjoying the sun. And just a little while longer, a nice, I'm saying it had to have been about 12 feet long, a hammerhead shark came swimming right where we were standing. Listen, and I didn't mind that I was told to get out of the water. Now, at that point, I got back in because I saw it. I was in control. I went up to where I wanted to be so I could look at them and get people out of the way. But I wasn't in there unprepared. Listen, how many of you know that when the Holy Ghost tells you to get out, you get out? When God spoke to the church in Smyrna, he was, they were already suffering persecution. He is forewarning them so that they would be prepared by knowing that some of them were going to be put into prison and some tried. And rather than them getting caught by surprise, Christ wanted them to know in advance and he prepared them for what the future held. And listen, being thrown into prison is a horrible ordeal, especially if you're innocent of any wrongdoing. And people would say, Pastor, why would you speak this in America? I want you to understand that right now in Afghanistan, in, in Iran, and around the world in India, there are people that are being murdered and that are being put in prison for being Christians. People say, well, that will never happen in America. Listen to me. This word isn't just for a singular church. God's warning the whole of the body of Christ. 
it's important that we're ready for the things that are coming. Over one quarter of the Bible is prophetic in nature. Most of it has been fulfilled, and we are watching much of what has been unfulfilled being fulfilled in our lifetime. When it was prophesied that Israel and Judah would be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, no one wanted to hear those prophecies. And Jeremiah was persecuted for it. For those of you who aren't coming on Wednesday nights, we're studying through the book of Daniel. I want to tell you, it'll help prepare you for what's coming. When Jesus predicted how he would die, Peter rebuked him, and Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Listen, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was calling what he was thinking. You have no understanding of what has to take place in order for what God wants to accomplish to be fulfilled. And when Agabus prophesied what would happen to Paul, people wept and begged him not to go to Jerusalem. But listen, Paul had already been instructed by Jesus what was going to happen, and he was prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to go to prison and even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you this morning that sometimes God's plan for our lives involves testings and trials. The question is, are we ready? Turn someone next to you and ask them, are you ready? Are you ready? Listen, no one wants to go through them. And no one really cares, who really cares about people, wants other people to go through things. Peter meant well. Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. That makes Peter a pretty good guy. You know, Paul's friends didn't want him to wind up in prison and to be put to death. That makes them good friends. How many of you would question your friends and are like, all right, yeah. You're going to get beheaded. That's just cool. But the truth is, these people love them. The American church, because we've been blessed for these last hundred years, have not really experienced. We have lived under the blessing and the hand of God. We have been blessed beyond measure. But the Bible warns the last day's church that some will go to prison and some will even die for their faith. When you read what he was saying to the book in Smyrna, it says that they would be tried or tested for 10 days. And the word tried or tested is the Greek word parazo, which describes a calculated test deliberately designed to expose any deficiency. I don't mind those type of tests. I don't want a test that's just going to find out if I'm stupid or not. I want to test that when they're done, they can show me what I did wrong because that's how you learn. That's what tests are supposed to do. Okay, you don't understand this. Now let's go back and help you learn. That's the idea. 
And Jesus made it clear that the testing of these end-time saints that they were endure was intended to test them to see if their faith is genuine. And these people had confessed Jesus as Lord, and Satan was going to try them to discover if their commitment to the lordship of Jesus was sincere. And many times in the Bible, we are called upon God to try him, to test him, and to taste and see that he is good. How many of you have tasted and found that he is good? Don't you just love the Lord? You're looking at some of the things he's asking you to do, and he says, just try it. Any of you ever had someone cook you some food, and they're going, just taste it, and you're going, not a chance. I've never liked cooked cabbage. As a matter of fact, I have PTSD from the cooked cabbage my mom cooked when I was growing up. First of all, it makes the house smell. And I don't care how much ham and noodles you add into that thing, it's still cabbage. Now, so the other day someone... Someone actually had some Brussels sprouts. Listen, Brussels sprouts is just little cabbage. That's all I'm saying. So I just want you all to understand that it does the same thing. There, there was a staff member that used to come into church and bring Brussels sprouts for lunch. He stuck it in the microwave once. My wife came out of the office and said, that'll never happen again. And I said, amen. So the other day, someone had a bunch of Brussels sprouts at some restaurant. They had been fried. They had been breaded. And they said, you've got to try it. I'm just, I think my eyes started twitching. <laughs> and they were just insistent, you're going to love it. And just so they would stop, I said, okay. So I took that Brussels sprout, cut it in half, and stuck that thing in there. And you know what? It was actually pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised. Now, that doesn't mean I want you to make me Brussels sprouts, I'm just telling you. But it was, I was listen, Jesus said, taste and see. Taste and see. Try me in this. And how many of us have put God's word to the test? Probably every single one of us. And every time we're obedient and take God at his words, we put him to the test and we find that he is faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 12 through 13 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us if we are faithless. He remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And if we are never tested, we really have nothing to endure. And it is having to endure the tests and trials that proves the genuineness of our faith. And Jesus tells the end time church to be faithful unto the end, and he will give them the crown of life. Can I tell you, there is a prize that is waiting for you and me that is more priceless than all the money in the world. Anyone can be faithful when things are good. It is when you are actually tried that you what you believe is put to the test. And you will have to answer the question, is this really what I believe 
or will I just cast aside my faith for the sake of convenience, comfort, and safety? 1 Peter 1, 6-9 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to hear me now. And I want to say it loud for the people in the back. Satan will try the genuineness of your faith. And faith is not just a declaration of what you believe. It is not sitting in church every once in a while and dropping a 20 in the offering plate so you feel good about yourself. Faith is believing in God. It is becoming obedient to his word. It is desiring to please God with all that you are and in every area of our life. It is living for him no matter what the cost or the criticism. It is loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. I want to remind you that not everyone claiming to be a Christian or a believer is one. And people today love to quote the verse that they confessed with their mouth so they are saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... A person with the heart a person believes in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification, that is, being made righteous, being freed of the guilt and sin, and being made acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. Many people are saying but not confessing. Many people are saying, but not confessing. You see, saying that you believe is simply an acknowledgement that there is a God. And I want to remind you that even Satan acknowledges that God is God. But Satan has rejected Jesus as Lord. Confession is acknowledges that God is God and that Jesus is Lord of their life. Confession also acknowledges that we need a Savior and that Jesus died for our sin and that we need forgiveness. Confession admits our sin, asks for forgiveness of our sin, and not only turns 
from the sin, but now lives a life that recognizes the power and authority of God over our life. Turn to someone and say, Jesus is my Lord. If he is, go ahead. Now watch this. It's the trials and testings that show what we believe. Is Jesus still the Lord and authority over our life when we go through trouble? Or do we take the reins back when we don't like where following him leads us? As I was writing this, I was first mistaken. I thought the word reins as in king and reins as in horse was the same word, and it's not. It sounds the same. They're spelled differently. I didn't realize that until I did spell check. But testing will determine whether we continue to allow Jesus to reign over our life or if we'll take back the reins into our own hands and begin to make decisions for ourselves. And one day we may have to answer the question, am I willing to go to prison and even to death for what I believe? And I want you to think about this because this is what Jesus writes to the church in Smyrna, which represents the last day's church. Remember, even Jesus was tempted and tried by the devil. And faith really isn't faith until it's been tested. Your faith isn't being tested when your waitress gets the order wrong. Why does this always happen to me? Jesus must be testing me. Jesus isn't testing you. The waitress got it wrong. That is not testing. It's annoying, but that's not testing. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It was the testing of Jesus' faith that allowed him to go through and have the testimony that he was without sin. And remember, Jesus was fully human and fully God. If it was not possible for him to sin, then the test wouldn't have included temptation. Please understand, the fact that he is fully God and fully man, and the fact that he didn't sin, makes it even a more remarkable thing. Because if I were fully God and fully man, I would have called those 10,000 angels, not only to get me, on the cro- get me off the cross, but to smite everybody around me. How many of you know? Aren't you glad that he's Jesus and you're not? God tested the righteous king Hezekiah by even withdrawing from him for a season to determine all that was in his heart. God will test your faith. Every believer that I have ever talked to will ask the question, where are you, God? Do you really believe what the word says? There were times where it seems like God was pulled far away. Remember, he hasn't. He says he'll never leave you or forsake you. But it feels that way, and he will do it. Because he wants to know if you believe that he is who he said he is, that he will do what he said to you to do, and that you really believe it. There's a reason we go through. 
I can tell you as a preacher how many times I have spent with people and they'll come to my office. And I love when they say, I don't feel like God's there. I'm beginning to doubt them. I said, so you don't believe? And they have to stop. And they want me to kind of enter into their pity party. The thing is, I've been through it. How many of you have been through that? The truth is, God was merciful, but it was an important test. And there was a seriousness about it. The part of that test that annoys the flesh is, I just want you to know that you're there. I need you to comfort me. I want you to hug me. I want to feel you. And God's going, that's not what it's about. I'm God whether you feel me or not. I am still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you either believe that or you don't. And I can tell you, I have watched saints who were young and then who have even been old. I have seen 70 and 80-year-olds walk away from God because their faith was tried. And although God had been faithful time and time again, it was found that the genuineness of their faith was not so. Will you pass the test? Because trust me, if you can't pass the test when you feel alone at home, how are you going to feel when you're sitting in a jail cell? How are you going to feel when they empty your bank account? How are you going to feel if you're walking up to the guillotine or have to kneel down and they want to shoot you or your wife or your husband? Is God still God or isn't he God? If you can't handle it, knowing that God will provide when your bank account looks empty because he said, I am Jehovah Jireh, I'll provide for you. How will you stand in the day when it would be easy if someone just said, I'll give you all the money you want if you'll just deny Christ? I won't put you in jail if you will choose not to serve God or I will kill you if you choose to confess him. Listen, the testing of our faith is going to happen so that we stand. And if you don't pass the test before the main trial, that's okay. It's called a learning curve. Turn to someone right now and say, learn from your test. Go ahead. You will find out if you got it or not. And it's okay. Listen, it's okay. That's the point of testing. So that when you get into the thing, you make it through. Because there's a difference between a test and the trial. Trial's the real thing. Scripture and experience show us that a declaration of faith will often trigger a backlash from the devil. And we face a formidable foe. Don't mistake that. Martin Luther had it right when he wrote the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he says, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. You know, in your own, you are not equal to the devil. But I love the rest of the story. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, never failing. I want to remind you that our God is greater than the devil. 
And Satan's purpose for the church in Smyrna was to test the sincerity of their faith to see if they would break under pressure. And Satan designs and calculatively prepares a test to break us to see if the fiery trials would expose some crack or deficiency in our faith. And Jesus had some words of encouragement. In Revelation, he said, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. Tell someone next to you, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus told them that they would face tribulation, but not to fear. Do you realize that the greatest part of the battle isn't the trouble you're going through, but the fear that grips you while you're going through it? Man, that went over some's head. The reason we have half the trouble we have what we're going through is because the fear grips you while you're doing it. don't fear that's a choice and the word tribulation revealed how intense the fires and trials would be the word tribulation conveys the idea of a burning and a burden that's crushing that's debilitating and overpowering and it was used to tell of a time of distress distress and pressure You know, it's interesting that today we spend more time telling people how to get out of stressful times, how to avoid pressure situations, instead of preparing them for them. Many Christians, times of, for many Christians, times of trials and tribulation catch them by surprise. You're going to have them. And Jesus told the last day's church what to expect so they can be spiritually, mentally, and emotionally prepared for the experience. He wants us to be ready for it and able to endure it. Soldiers prepare for war because it is not a matter of if, but when. And he calls it tribulation because it will be hard. Get this. Jesus did not hesitate to tell them that difficult times were waiting them. And he knew that Satan was about to unleash a horrible offensive against the believers. But he said, do not fear. Because he knew that they could endure the test. Because their faith is genuine. Turn to someone and say, you can do it. Can I tell you as your pastor, I got faith in you. Janet, I got faith in you. Listen, you've already been through some things. And you've proved faithful. Some intense things. The devil had got to be a fool to mess with you. You go through and you find in those times the things that God has to strengthen, the things that you need to tighten up. And it's beautiful. Jesus also went on to tell them that the season of testing would only last 10 days. And seasons of testings at times can see like they're going to go on forever. And if you have ever been in a season of testing and trials, 
Have you ever noticed that it seems like the clock stops? But the phrase 10 days was meant to give the suffering saints encouragement to know that this season was temporary and that they would not have to endure it forever. 10 days refers to a short, finite period of time. And it was an expression that recognized a certain period of time, but not an indefinite, undetermined period of time. And it was used to signify a short and limited period of time. And someone needs to hear this this morning. Seasons change. God designed it that way. And new seasons help us to experience all the other seasons. They help us to know that we can make it through and when we are in them to find the beauty. When we lived up north, that was a long time ago, we had to prepare for the winter seasons. And the winter seasons are cold, they're dark, they're dreary. But you knew that. And you did what you needed to do so that you would get through them. And you also learned to find the beauty in the cold and in the shadows. It's beautiful. When we moved to Florida, we were excited about our year-long summers until we realized that summer summers were not what we thought they were going to be. We were used to being outside in the summer. The seasons reversed. Now that we moved down here, we stay inside in the summer. Thank God, listen, every summer, I thank Jesus for Mr. Carrier, who invented the air condition. Would you all take a minute right now at the end of April and the beginning of September and bless his holy name? We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The sun's great, but the humidity in Florida is horrible. And it also brings hurricane season. And each year you learn to prepare and endure and know that you're going to make it through. Hard times are inescapable. And in the last days, those times will not just be about inconvenient and trivial things like losing your electricity. We need to know that God will give us the power to sustain and empower all of us who are determined to endure and be faithful to the end. I want to remind you that throughout history, the church has gone through seasons of persecution. Times where spiritual darkness seems to be winning. And Satan always tries to drive out the light with darkness. And we need to know that light always Say that with me. Always overcomes the darkness. John 1.5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Listen, if you've got to go back to being in Sunday school when you're going through your trial and just sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on, someone say a good amen. That's what you do in the darkness. If all you're doing is shining, then you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. I believe that God's warning the church of today of what's coming. And His divine warnings are intended to prepare us for the challenges 
and hardships that are coming. Why are so many going through things now? So that the genuineness of your faith is proven. Dale and I were talking the other day. She said, Pastor, do you realize the attacks that are happening on the men of our church? The sicknesses? The passing? I said, you know, I really hadn't thought about it. I said, but now that you mentioned it to me, yeah. Why? So that the testing of our faith will serve him through the good and serve him through the bad. He is making sure that our faith is genuine, that we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, that we have prepared ourselves spiritually, mentally, and emotionally to endure until the end. Are my emotions involved in my faith? Yes. They need to be surrendered to Jesus. And you may ask, the end of what? Well, either the end of the trial. And again, trials are seasons. How many of you know you can endure? Faithful until he returns in the rapture. Or faithful unto death. Faithful till you die. And your life comes to an end. Whether it is by natural causes or someone who challenges you for your stand in Christ. Faithful to death. Either way, he desires us to be prepared to be faithful until the end. But then he says, and I will give you the crown of life. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like See, eventually we're all going to take those crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus. I don't know when all that happens, but I think we're all going to have some fun with each other. Woo, check out your crown. Dude, you were faithful to the end. Woo, that crown fits you pretty good. Might have to look at you and straighten that out just a little bit. But listen, your crown is good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How many of you know I'm dead after church today? Go, I'll be faithful to the, faithful to the end. Listen, can you imagine the celebration if you're carrying the crown when you're wearing that you'll be walking around heaven and we'll know you've been faithful and you've been faithful and you've been and it'll be like, "Man, but I know what you went through, but you've been I think God's going to let you walk around with all that for a little while. I really do. How many of you know he gives you something to enjoy it? kings and princesses and queens and walking around glory and then there'll be a moment when we take those crowns together and we lay them at the feet of the faithful one you've been faithful you carried all my sin carried all my pain. You saw me through every trial. You gave me strength. You loved me when I didn't even love me. 
and we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. I believe at that moment all of heaven will go silent. And then all of a sudden, the refrain that's going on around heaven right now, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Holy who was and is and came again because he was faithful to his word. I believe that this morning, God's word to the church is forewarned, is forearmed. We're ready. Some of you going through some things, it's okay. Some people take tests well. Some people do not test well. I hated tests in school. Brittany, it is so good that you were never my teacher. There were teachers that almost retired because of me. That's a true story. True story. Seventh grade. My teacher, I went back home and she came up to me. after we, I was preaching two years ago up at my home church. She, Mrs. Williamson, she walked up to me. She goes, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad I didn't quit. You almost made me quit teaching. I gave her a hug. I kissed her on the cheek. She pulled back. She goes, you haven't changed. I said, I know. Thanks for not quitting on me. Aren't you glad God didn't quit on you? Come on, stand with me this morning. If you're at home, I'm going to ask you to do something. Get off your couch. Get off your chair. Now, if you're watching this later in your car, don't stand up. Keep driving. As a matter of fact, you should be listening, not watching, if you're in your car. How many of you say, Lord, I just want to be faithful? If you're in the middle of some tests, would you just lift your hand? God's got you. The genuineness of your faith is being tested. Can I tell you, as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed these tests way more than I ever enjoyed any academic test. It's a whole different thing. Now I look forward to them. I still hate academic tests. Father, this morning we thank you that you're here, Holy Spirit. With COVID going on and everything, Lord, we're going to just make this entire church an altar. I know we'd all come up to the front this morning, but Lord, just within the distancing of the church. Lord, we love you. So today, God, I pray over everyone in this room. They're going through the test. Some of them are doing amazing, and they know it. Some of them are struggling with the answer. But I pray this morning, Lord, that instead of feeling condemnation, even if you feel far away from them, I pray that they would really come to the place where they determine what they believe. And I praise you, Lord, that they're going to come through this test. 
so that, Lord, when the trial comes, they're ready. Lord, in these days, we recognize the time that we live. And, Lord, we confess that sometimes we look at what's going on and it causes us to fear. And, Lord, we all respond to fear differently. Some of us just get angry. Some of us just try to pretend that it's not happening. We get passive. But I pray that, God, instead we would understand that you are in control. Today we don't just say, we confess that you are King of kings. If he's your King of kings and Lord of lords, would you just confess that to him? Lift your hands right now and tell him, you are my Lord. You are my everything. And Lord, we will serve you through the good and we will serve you through the bad. I thank you that you give us strength and the ability to walk through. Lord, I thank you that the testings that we go through are only for a season. Some seasons are longer, some seasons are shorter. And Lord, we understand that it takes longer to get some of the answers on the test right. But we thank you that it gives us that information so that we learn, so that the real thing, when it comes, will be ready. Lord, we ask you to prepare us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Now, Lord, I thank you as a pastor that as I pray today, that I'm praying over men and women that are faithful to the end. I thank you that when we get to glory, each of us in this room are going to, and those watching, whether it's by the website or by Facebook, we're going to come together and we'll watch each other with the crown of life on our heads. And Lord, while we'd rather not go through times of suffering and trials, we make the decision today to not back down. I thank you that you give us courage. You help us not to fear. Just like Stephen had no fear and he looked right into heaven, let us be like that. Just like Paul just like Peter who said crucify me upside down and went there with no fear we can't even imagine but Lord they walked into glory and they heard well done good and faithful servant from the faithful one who knows what faithfulness is now Lord I pray your blessing on each one today may this afternoon be a time of rest may it be a time of peace may it be a time of fellowship and we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I love you. God bless you. We will see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.